pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace that you call yourself the God of all grace and that your grace is always enough for every need. Lord, you know every need in this room. You know every need of those listening online. You know everything. I thank you that your grace is sufficient for every situation. Pray especially this morning for your grace to be with Ed and Jan Batine as uh, Jan doesn't look like she has much longer in this world. And um, Lord, that you'd sustain them, give them grace uh, for these hours. Uh, Lord, strengthen them. We pray for grace for Nathan and Lisa as they start a new church up in Macy, Nebraska tonight. And Lord, if your hand isn't on that work, uh, it won't go anywhere. And so they need your grace, and we ask that you'd give it to them. Lord, we need your grace to hear your word this morning and grace to respond to it appropriately. Lord, if anyone's listening who doesn't know you, they need grace to bring them to life and give them eyes to see Christ. So, Lord, we're completely dependent on you for everything. We acknowledge that. And we're thankful that you're willing and able to do that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We just sang a song reminding us that everything we have and do is a gift by God's grace. And our text for today calls attention to three of the gifts that God has given us to us by his grace. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 as we start a study of the letter Peter wrote as a follow-up to 1 Peter, which we finished up last Sunday. So 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start with verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter assumes his readers have faith. Some versions have, you have received a faith, and other versions have, you have obtained a faith. But both of the words express the idea of coming to possess something. So how do we come to possess faith? Does it just happen by itself? Do I produce faith on my own? Or is faith a gift received from God? Tom Schreiner explains it like this in his commentary on 2 Peter. Quote, Peter describes them as receiving a faith that has equal privileges as ours. The word received connotes the receiving of something by lot. Zechariah obtained by lot the privilege of offering incense in the temple. Roman soldiers cast lots to see who would get Jesus' garments. Judas was appointed by lot to serve in an apostolic ministry. Receiving something by lot here designates a gift one receives because of the grace of God. 
faith, which is necessary for salvation, is a divine gift. So let's look at some other verses that show us that our faith is ultimately a gift from God. So go to Romans 12, verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each measure of faith. Go to 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it. In other words, if I have anything, including if I have faith, it is only because I received it. And therefore, I can't take any credit for it as if I was the one who came up with it. It was a gift. Ephesians 2, 8. It says, For by grace, what's grace? God's free, undeserved, unearned favor and kindness shown to those who deserve his judgment and wrath. So by grace, you have been saved. What's that mean? Rescued from sin and restored to God through faith. And that or this, what's that referring to? So remember your grammar. A pronoun has an antecedent. So the last noun that was referred to as faith. So that faith is not of yourselves. It's not of your own doing. That faith is the gift of God. Philippians 1.29. Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. What's a grant? We talked about this in Sunday school. If you are going to college or have kids in college, you want to get a grant. It's free money. It's not a loan or a work study. It's a gift. So it's been granted as a free gift to believe in Christ. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus or looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you look up author in the dictionary, it's one who produces, creates, or brings into being. For example, John Bunyan is the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Without him, there would be no such book. Hebrews 12, 2 says Jesus is the author of our faith. He produced it. He created it. He brought it into being. Without Jesus, there would be no faith. Go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. So believing in Christ and coming to Christ are used interchangeably. And then look at 665. 665. And he, Jesus, was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So we can only come to Jesus if the Father gives us the ability as a free gift. And one more, Acts 18.27. Acts 18.27. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So how did these disciples believe? Through grace. God's free, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor. Not because they were so special, not because they qualified themselves in some way, but God enabled them to believe as a gift of his grace. Some of you might be wondering, so what difference does it make if faith is a gift of God? Well, it makes a difference in how well we understand our salvation and how deeply we will thank God for it. So maybe you've never asked yourself this question, but you should. Why is it that I believe in Christ? Why do I believe in Christ and other people, maybe a family member who's heard the same gospel I embraced, why don't they believe? What made the difference? Would you say God made salvation possible by providing the death and resurrection of Christ, and now it is up to me to supply faith as the decisive factor that makes salvation actually happen. So salvation is just potentially there. It's available. It's free. God did most of it, but now it doesn't become mine until I supply the faith. And if that's how it works, if God kind of takes 99% of salvation and our faith adds that 1% to make it complete, it's hard to avoid the conclusion we deserve partial credit for our salvation. After all, we believed and that family member doesn't. I was smart enough or humble enough to cooperate with grace, and they weren't. I produced my own faith, and well, they just couldn't come up with it. So the difference is me. And so somehow I should get some credit for that. I did something that other person didn't do. But if God not only supplies the finished work of Christ, but also gives us the faith to believe in Christ, all as a free gift, then I see my salvation is and must be all of God's grace. He gets 100% of the credit, and he deserves a deep, heartfelt thanks for not only the gift of salvation, but for the gift of faith in order to receive it. Paul talks about God's goals in the way he saved us, the way he did, 
in 1 Corinthians 1, and I just want to read the last three verses of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul's drawing a conclusion of why does God do things the way he does in salvation. And it says in verse 29, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So it's a, the, salvation is designed in such a way that all human boasting is taken away. Not just most of it, all of it. Boasting is excluded, according to Romans 3. There's no room for it at all. It's 100% of what God has done. So we boast in him and what he did and can't boast at all in what we did. Well, salvation is God's complete remedy in Christ for our complete ruin in sin. And we all need to be rescued from sin and restored to God. That's just so clear in Romans 3, where Paul says, It is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. And then he'll say later, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all are in need of a rescue. And none of us can cancel out our sin and failures by anything we can do or work for. If you're still in Romans, look at Romans 4. Romans 4, verse 4 and 5. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And then look up at verse 16. For this reason, it is by faith. Why? in order that it may be in accordance with grace. So faith is the way that saves us so that it would line up with grace, free, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor to those who deserve the opposite. So it's all part of this thing. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. Jesus is the only one who can rescue us. The message of Acts 4 is there salvation in no one else? There's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. So Jesus' death on the cross is the only payment that God will ever accept for our sin. Nothing else will do. And his resurrection from the dead shows he's able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. And so Acts 16.31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You must believe. And then that salvation by grace through faith is a gift. So God has given us the gift of faith. A second gift of God's grace in these verses is his complete provision for us. So back in Second Peter chapter 1, let's read verse 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our at Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us 
everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So God knows everything that we will need for this life and for living a life that honors him, and he's already given us everything we'll need as a gift. Sometimes we might get a gift that doesn't have everything we need. So about a month and a half from now, think of Christmas morning, kids open up a present, they're all excited about it, but they can't play with it because the box says battery's not included. So then you're scrambling to find, you know, triple A battery and you can't find one and you have to go to the convenience store and, you know, so it's sort of a letdown. It didn't have everything that was needed to enjoy the gift. But maybe there's a box that says some assembly required. And not only does it contain all the parts, but it even has all the tools you will need to put it together. So everything you need is included in the box. It's complete. It's a complete package. And so when God saved us, he didn't just get us started and say, you're on your own now. Do your best. Live out the Christian life on your own. He has provided everything necessary to fight the fight of faith. He has supplied everything we need to endure trials and suffering. He has made available everything needed to live a godly life in the workplace or in the school or in the home. A few weeks ago, we sang, pardon for sin, a peace that endures Your own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today. Bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine and ten thousands beside. All I have needed, your hand has provided. That's what this verse is saying. God has provided everything that we need. Here's a few other verses that speak of God's complete provision for our whole journey to heaven. Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? So if God has already provided Christ infinitely valuable gift, how much more can we count on him to provide all the other things that are so small compared to the gift of Christ? Or Ephesians 1, 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Or Colossians 2, verse 10. In him you have been made complete. Not missing anything. Not lacking anything. You've been made complete in Christ. So back to verse 3 in 2 Peter. Notice it says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. So there's a direct connection between how well we know God and how much we're experiencing his complete provision for life and godliness. 
The more we're growing in our relationship with God, the better we're getting to know him and what he is like and how he takes care of his people, the more we will enjoy a sense of well-being that comes from knowing, I'm all set. God has provided all the resources I really need for every situation I will ever face. He's provided all necessary for life and godliness. So God has given us the gift of saving faith. He's given us the gift of complete provision. And third, he has given us his great and precious promises. Look at verse 4. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. J.C. Ryle wrote this in the 1800s. God has shown his perfect knowledge of the human nature by spreading over his book a perfect wealth of promises suitable to every kind of experience and every condition of life. There are shalls and wills in God's treasury for every condition about God's infinite mercy and compassion, about his readiness to receive all who repent and believe, about his willingness to forgive pardon and absolve the chief of sinners about his power to change hearts and alter our corrupt nature about strength for duty comfort in trouble guidance in perplexity help in sickness consolation in death support under bereavement happiness beyond the grave reward in glory about all these things there is an abundant supply of promises in the word So God doesn't just make ordinary promises or good promises. He makes magnificent promises, which means impressively great. And he makes precious promises, which means of great worth or value. I think many of us could testify of how a promise was just so precious during a time of trouble. We just clung to for dear life. That verse sustained us, kept us going. So here's just a sampling of some of God's great and precious promises to his people. So when we're afraid, Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my right hand. When we're worried about having enough, Philippians 4.19 says, My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When we feel alone, we know that he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. When we feel weak, St. Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we get Bad news or more bad news. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. When we wonder if we'll make it to the end without making shipwreck of faith, we know Philippians 1.6 says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And when we think about our death, You could cling to a promise like John 14, 9. Because I live, you will live also. So how can we be sure God will keep 
all of these promises. Well, here's just a few verses. Numbers 23, 19. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. And Hebrews 6 goes even further. 6.18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. So God has made a promise, eternal life, knowing him and Jesus forever. How do we know he's going to keep that? It's impossible for God to lie. So I know that is true. And last, 2 Corinthians 1, 20. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. For as many as are the promises of God in him, Jesus, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. John Piper wrote this. All the promises of God for the good of his people are in Christ. He confirms them and secures them and purchases them for all who believe and belong to him. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all of his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all of his promises. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for these amazing promises that we've reviewed just now and we've sung about We've read in a quiet time this week, maybe memorized even in Awana as a kid. Lord, we just thank you that your word is full of them for every situation. I pray that you would strengthen our faith by these promises, Lord, knowing that you could never lie, that not one word of everything you've promised will fall to the ground. Lord, you will make good on everything you have said. So grant us more faith. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief. Our faith is often weak. And we need your grace to believe uh, and cling to what you have said. I pray again for anyone who doesn't know you this morning. Lord, that they would put all their hope and trust in Christ alone. The only one who can rescue from sin and bring us to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.